This podcast includes reference to abuse, physical and sexual violence, which some listeners may find distressing. Hi, I'm Molly Catchell and welcome to the second series of the Give Us a Smile podcast, the podcast where we'll be exploring issues of sexual violence, harassment and assault with a focus on university students. Birthed from the campaign here at York St John University, this podcast covers topics which some may find challenging, so this podcast might not be for you. But for those still listening, I welcome you on a journey of discovering truths. Through open and honest conversation, I aim to educate and inform people about the importance of respect and healthy relationships while tackling those challenging questions. This week, I'm joined by Jane Reynolds and Mel Spanton, welfare advisors from York St. John University. In this episode, we will be exploring what staff and students should do with sexual disclosures while delving into the importance of the wellbeing and welfare team within the university. So sit back and relax and enjoy the open and honest conversation. I'm Jane Reynolds and I am one of the welfare advisors at York St John. Been here about eight or nine years, which is a fairly long time. I think I'm the longest standing member of the wellbeing team so far anyway. Previously, I could probably tell from my accent I'm Irish, but I married an English guy, so that's what found me in, in the UK. Used to be a primary school teacher. Went back to uni to study psychology. Did that. I've had millions and millions of different various jobs so a colorful cv i like to say so i guess you could say i have a hell of a lot of experience in different fields and i saw this welfare position back obviously eight years ago it's obviously supporting and helping students which is what i love doing i love my team and i love my job i mean the best part of it is is just advising and helping students when they face challenges and help them overcome those challenges to, to kind of have a better student journey and student experience and continue on their academic journey. Wow, how do you follow that? I'm Mel. I'm Hello. <laughs> and I'm the other student welfare advisor at York St John and I've been here now three years which has absolutely flown by. I started on a bit of maternity cover really for Jane and I've stayed here ever since, which is really lucky for me. So my history before that is I was a police officer for 30 years. So I joined the police at 18, really thoroughly enjoyed my police career and finished four years ago. I had a little career break and went on around the world trip. And then my eldest child was just starting university. And I thought, well, this is a lovely opportunity to find another job and completely change path. And I saw the advert for the welfare advisor at York St. John and it all clicked into place, really. Like Jane, I love helping people. I suppose that's testament to my previous career. But helping students is a really meaningful role for me because of my own children. They're right at that age. My, my daughter's now in her master's year. My son's just coming up 20. And all those little life hurdles that young people go through at that age you know, very dear to me. So like Jane, I love my job. I'm really blessed. I'm really missing the face-to-face with the students at the moment because of COVID, but yeah. I'm still loving supporting our students. Both of you have touched upon there, this sort of key aspect of your job is helping students. How would you then summarise up then the wellbeing like welfare team in a nutshell? What is it that you provide to students at York St John? Look at the wellbeing team as a whole. You have within that myself and Mel who are welfare and then you have mental health advisors and counsellors and then obviously we've got like our wellbeing team manager 
who also has that background as well. I, I guess how I describe the difference between welfare and the other members of the wellbeing team is that the mental health advisors and counsellors, they support students with everything mental health related or mental wellbeing related concerns. And then myself and Mel, I always say that we cover kind of everything else outside that doesn't fall into the mental wellbeing side of things. Now, we overlap because often students will come up against challenges that affect their mental wellbeing. So they might end up seeing our colleague and then being referred to us because of the challenge that they have faced and they need some practical support, some guidance and coordination of the different agencies that might need to get involved and we kind of stay with that student or support that student until sort of those outside agencies have kind of transferred over to them so to speak and then we end the support unless it's required for us to to carry on. I mean the thing is is that students come up against all sorts of challenges that are completely out of their control. We don't write our life stories do we? Things happen that we don't expect that are going to happen. The only thing I struggle with in my job is that Sometimes students don't know where to go and I just wish they had come to us sooner or felt able to seek support sooner or found us sooner so that we could support them and sort of allow them to have a better, positive, more positive experience and, you know, potentially not drop out or take time out. So that's how I describe us. We're a great bunch of people. We really all get on very, very well and we sort of bounce off each other. And I think as Mel says, we really miss the face-to-face support that we offer students, but as well, equally, we, we do, you know, I have struggled with not being able to be part of my team bar on screen because it, it is a different feel. So, yeah, I really miss everybody and I just hope COVID just goes away <laughs> so that we can get back to normal as soon as possible. But yeah, I don't know, Mel, you can probably fill in some gaps that I've missed. No, I think you've you've explained that really well. You said about it almost enriches the student's experience by having that support. Is that why it's so important having this wellbeing team at a university? Definitely. I think most universities have woken up to the fact now that some kind of wellbeing provision is pivotal. You know, wellbeing provision for all of us, staff and students, is important. And it would be wrong to provide, for example, the Care First facility that the university very kindly provides for staff without thinking, well, what about wellbeing for our students? So, yeah, that whole wraparound care is so important. But not just our team. I mean, we're looking at building a whole university approach to mental health and well-being you know that's the plan that all areas of the university will have this as a focus so we've also got the chaplaincy we've got our excellent student union you know our president of well-being and diversity so you know i think within ysj there are lots of different areas that are all wanting to come together to offer that support to students i think um one thing to add molly is is that you know in the time that i have been here Originally, when I first started, it was really, I don't mean just, because there's still big issues for students. You know, I'm not getting on with my housemates or my landlord isn't being very helpful with regards to any damages or things that have broken down in the house, got damp. You know, those kind of things generally, they're the sort of things that I used to sort of offer support and guidance on with students. But over time, I don't know whether there's been a bit of a shift in the ability to be more open or seek support or 
whether speaking about somebody's well-being is more normal or natural to people because now we support students with you know domestic violence sexual assault sexual abuse i know that they're not such nice topics but have to be talked about you know these things happen and we are here to support the students so i guess what you could say my support has had to evolve through the time that i've been here and i've had to extend my working relationships with outside agencies and we're constantly building those relationships myself and now we're we're on a number of different meetings and groups part of different groups to i guess educate other you know outside society york society about students and what the impact is on students and then what that that impacts on the city so you know i guess it, it our my role and mel's role they totally evolved and i guess it's the same, I know we, I can't exactly speak for um, the mental health advisors and the counsellors, but that has also evolved for them too. And that's just, I guess, different students coming through who are more open and more willing to speak about what's happened and the challenges that they're facing or their mental health and mental well-being. So that's a really good thing, you know, that students are coming with those complex cases and we can support those students and, and help them on their way and be that sort of scaffolding that holds them up until they kind of get back on track. And that's what I kind of like to call myself, a piece of scaffolding that sends them on their way and helps them back on track. There's nothing better than that when that happens. And also, you know, those initial concerns that Jane mentioned that she used to help with more often, falling out with housemates, they're still a big part of our work. So they do still come in regularly, those calls for help. And I think we all know what it's like when you're not enjoying your home environment and what an impact that can have on on the rest of your life. And if you think that you're trying to study for a degree at that time and you're not getting on with housemates, that's really tough. And there's some of the circumstances where we, we wish people would come and ask for help sooner because they're the things that we can, you know, we can have a real positive impact on sometimes. It's really difficult for students because we all hold expectations, don't we, of different things. And, and everything we do, we have an expectation of that. And when students come to university first, they hold that expectation and rightly so. But sometimes that expectation isn't as high as what they expect it to be. And that's the struggle. It's a massive change, moving away from home. It's exciting and it's great meeting new people, becoming more independent. There's a lot of learning, like it's not just about the course, it's about you as an individual and learning coping mechanisms to deal with challenges that you're facing on a daily basis. Some of those challenges, you know, you might need advice and guidance for to get through and that's okay. We'd rather people just came and had a chat. It's just like this, like we're having a chat now. It's, you know, they are adults. We are here to talk to them as adults, but we're also here to give them a virtual hug as well if they want that. You know, we understand that it's hard. So we are here. Just I guess any message that I'm going to say is that please do get in touch and don't sit in silence and worry. Obviously, you touched upon there, Melanie, about how like as a university, you're very interlinked to different areas and how you, you know, across the whole university and I think that's something that's quite nice at York St John and obviously if we draw it back to the campaign of All About Respect they obviously have a, I'm right in saying a quite close link to you as the wellbeing team how do you then work with All About Respect to sort of help issues that you said that have sort of evolved within your role throughout the years obviously it was probably once more students with housemate issues and now you having people come forward more maybe to do with issues within their relationships and domestic abuse so how 
have you sort of seen that evolve? What sort of relationship do you have then with All About Respect? Well, we have, I would consider, a great relationship with the All About Respect campaign. So when it first launched, Gemma Linfoot King was the member of staff who took over that campaign and she was actually a welfare advisor in the wellbeing team. So she had those links with the team already. We always assist with any All About Respect campaigns and we always have done from the start, but we got more deeply involved in providing training. So one of the things that the All About Respect campaign wanted everyone to do better was to have a better understanding of how to respond to disclosures of sexual violence. So particularly aimed at staff, but also aimed at students. You know, it's a great piece of work to be able to upskill yourself in that kind of thing because you never know when you're going to come across that situation in your life. So Jane and I both agreed to be involved in that and we received some training to then be able to deliver the training and we delivered the training over the last two years to academics, to all of the library staff, to all of the security staff, to the accommodation team, to the disability advice team, who else Jane, but also to students, some of the student ambassadors. And the SU, I don't know if domestic staff have it as well. Yes, yeah, so yeah, so the domestic, yeah. the, certainly the supervisors from the domestic team who go out into the um, the accommodation, they've had the training, as have the SU presidents and the RSAs who live in in our accommodation. So that's been a great piece of work, I think, for us to support the campaign by delivering that training. We continue to do so, and we hope to be able to, in future, roll it out further to students who are interested. So certainly maybe as part of the bystander training to somehow link in with that, which I know is, is delivered by the All About Respect team as well. So why is it then sort of important to almost educate people on how to respond to disclosures? Why is that important? So for somebody to come forward, to ask for help or to even say that that this has happened to them, that they've been sexually assaulted, you know, might have been a recent assault or it could be historical. But for any person to come forward and actually I like to say, choose somebody to tell. It's a massive thing and it's a very brave thing. And I think because of that, sometimes for their other people's own reasons and depending on the jobs that they do, they're just unsure how to respond to it. And then because it's such a sensitive thing and it's an upsetting thing, people want to look after the victim or, you know, the survivor and they want to be able to wrap them around and do everything they can to help and almost make the decisions for that person. When in actual fact, that person lost control when they were sexually assaulted. They didn't have control over that situation. And therefore, whatever that person wants to happen next is their choice and their decision and, and in their control, it's the only piece of control about that whole situation that person has in that moment in time. So I guess it sounds a bit of a strange thing to say, but I guess the reason for that training is to give confidence to people to be able to say it's okay to hear that and, and to support somebody if they come forward to speak to you, but also to remind them that actually you can give them all what's the options that are available to the, that person, but it's really, really important to listen and to make it quite clear that whatever happens next, it's totally there within their control and their choice. And I think that is the biggest thing 
for that training because it gives the staff an understanding of what it might be like. You never understand fully, obviously, but sort of an idea of what it's like for that person through a case study that we work through. And I suppose it maybe changes their the way they might react in future and gives them maybe the confidence ability to feel okay I can do you know I can do that do my best by that person if they come forward so yeah I think it's really you know listening to the person and allowing that person to, to have full control over what happens next and and yeah I think it's it's just that really do would you add anything to that Mel? Uh, no, I agree. That's exactly the primary focus of that training. And to support the training, we also created an information sheet. So there's an awful lot to take in. You know, if you, if you put yourself in the shoes of a survivor who's coming to disclose that kind of very personal piece of information, it's not always the best time to be then bombarded with X, Y, Z choices. So we thought it would be helpful to actually create something that could be taken away and reflected on. So we created an information sheet for students and that's actually, uh, it can be found in the report and support site. It's there as one of the support options for sexual assault. When we obviously speak about like disclosures, it, it can be quite a a daunting experience for someone to come forward and want to have to speak to someone about this and obviously when we look at the media there has been times where members of staff in institutions have sort of maybe said the wrong thing that implies victim blaming on somebody who's gone through this so if we strip it back to staff how would you advise staff to best support somebody who's gone through an experience like this? If they're receiving a disclosure, what support would you recommend that they give to somebody? How would they best go about that? Well, as part of the training, that is something that we we sort of touch on. We do touch on some do's and don'ts. I think the message that we like to get over is it's almost a gift, really, that the person has chosen you as somebody to trust, to disclose to. And it's really important that you accept that and respect that and park your your own personal feelings to one side and be there in the moment to support that student and to offer the advice that Jane talked about. So, you know, it's really important to create that no blame, neutral territory where they can just share confidently and know that you are not going to judge. So that's that's key. I think you've covered it now, really. I think it's it's very much you could direct the student to welfare. So they might not want to go into like you can go here and you can go here and you can go here, like a bit what Mel said earlier about overwhelming the student with all, you know, obviously that student has just literally come and, and needed and felt comfortable and safe enough to say that to that person or to that staff member. So it's just listen and ask what would you like me to do next? Would you, what would you like to do next? You can speak to a welfare advisor or there are other options available to you. I guess one thing to remember, which I will touch on, is unfortunately, if a sexual assault has happened, let's say very recently in the last seven days, it is quite sort of important to maybe inform the survivor or the student about the evidence that can be got taken purely because of the time constraint and then that then allows that person a lot more other options at a later point and it, they don't need to make any formal decisions then and there 
but um yeah i think mel would you agree with that would you definitely yeah and and that's something that i know that some of the staff that i've been in the training with are slightly reticent about you know how they would bring that up or would they be embarrassed to try and discuss that so that's why we there is a section in the information sheet that deals with that and that's something that we do ask them to bring to the attention of the student if it's within that relevant time scale so they might not feel comfortable to actually say the words or discuss that with the student and the student might not be comfortable with that either but it's there at least you could direct you know if you direct like that says even if you don't feel 100% comfortable like speaking about that because some people don't and that's fine is to, to direct or to point out to that student that section of the form or the leaflet so that they have that choice and, and are able to make that decision if they wish to do that because that is really quite important and I guess the other thing I would probably say is is that you know we've always said myself and Mel that if you know often students they develop a really good working relationship with their academic tutor or the, a certain lecturer and that's why they've chosen because they trust that person which is really lovely and I've also always said as Mel will kind of back me up on this we're always happy to be or to come in you know I know it's COVID and we can't be face to face but we would be happy to meet with the student and the lecturer if that makes the student a bit more comfortable because sometimes going to yet another stranger is hard and we are able to bridge that gap if a particular student does want to get the advice and guidance and does want to speak to somebody further but just feels a bit uncomfortable about doing that on their own we can be there with with this other staff member who they've told i'm just interested to know further about sort of what would you say are the do's and don'ts then to staff what's not to say to somebody I guess one of the first things that we say is try not to panic or show excessive shock and that sort of echoes back to what you were saying about making sure you say the right things so staff can often get quite hung up on what mustn't I say what must I say although we say don't panic or show excessive shock we do you know we do accept that some of the things that you might hear might be distressing and I think the person just wants a genuine human response from you so that would be my first piece of advice and as you said you know don't under any circumstances apportion any blame or offer any view that's a real important don't of course it's fine to empathize and say that you're sorry that this has happened and you're grateful that they've shared the information with you and how would they like support i wouldn't be asking too many questions Mm. like because it could be a first account i wouldn't be saying were you drunk what were you wearing you know it doesn't mean that you that that person means anything by those questions it just can be taken up it can be read the the wrong way by by the survivor the, the student that's sitting there who's just disclosed i would just be a listening ear and let the students talk but i wouldn't be requesting any details or where were you or who was there or it's just about listening and sort of comforting that student and being empathetic as mel says I wouldn't ask for any detail unless you feel it necessary, like are they safe tonight, you know, in terms of their home, you know, are they safe going back to their if it's student accommodation, are they in a safe environment or that kind of thing, it's fine to ask, but in terms of the assault, I wouldn't be requesting or asking any too many questions or details, just what the person, what the student wants. Sometimes people who have gone through you know, this ordeal or have gone through either assault and they're wanting to disclose to someone, don't always go to a member of staff. They might choose to go to a friend or another student. Does that advice then for when you're helping somebody with a disclosure 
apply the same as it would be as a staff member? Or is it slightly different when it's somebody who is your close friend that you're telling? What sort of advice would you give to that person as opposed to a staff member? Or would you say it is the same? I think it is the same, really. But I think if it's a student who's who's disclosed to a student and that student feels sort of uncomfortable or feels like that they need to ask, you know, they can easily come and make a welfare chat appointment and, and say, a friend of mine has been sexually assaulted and I don't really know what to say. And that's fine. Just the listening ear, exactly the same. Don't offer any opinion. Don't tell them what to do. You can offer them what the options are and direct them, direct them to welfare or other agencies. But if they are struggling with that, they can also come and and have a chat with us and, you know, and get the information to relay back to the survivor who has disclosed. And if they don't feel comfortable coming direct to us. So that's another way around it, I guess. Yeah, I can imagine that a lot of students maybe do choose that peer disclosure because they worry that if they disclose to a member of staff, then something will happen automatically that's taken out of their hands. And that's the thing that I think we'd really like to reassure about today is that whatever happens next will be their choice, apart from in a very, very small number of circumstances where there's some kind of safeguarding risk apparent. But otherwise, you know, the choice about what, if anything happens next, will be down to them. If somebody goes through something like this, how, as a student at York St. John, do you seek support from the wellbeing team? Like, How do you go about that? Obviously, for our listeners, we have the report and support site where people can access, you know, help via that and they can report things via there. Is that the advice you'd give to students to sort of see you at wellbeing? How do you sort of get to the support that you offer? Jane and I are actually um, allocated cases from report and support. So if somebody makes a a report to report and support and they choose to give their details, then usually that would be allocated to a welfare advisor. So either Jane or I to make contact with the student. So that's one way. Another way is to just book an appointment with us directly. So in non-COVID times, that would entail going to the student information desk in Holgate and booking in for a welfare appointment. And I suppose people might have been slightly put off by that, by thinking that the person at the desk would want to know why you're booking the appointment. But that isn't the case. You don't have to say unless you want to say. But in these COVID secure times, the way to book an appointment with Jane or I is even easier. You would just go onto the YSJ website. And if you in the search box, if you just type in the word welfare, it will take you to our web page and you can now just book online. So that would be the easiest way to book a welfare appointment to talk about options. If a student felt that they needed more well-being support in the way that Jane described the other members of the team, so the counsellors and the mental health advisors, then similarly, the way you would book an appointment with the team is to complete one of the well-being chat request forms, which again are on our website. If you typed in the word well-being into the search box, that takes you to the page to show how to book one of those. It's the welfare chat. Is it, There is a little box on our webpage when you type in, like Mel said, welfare into the website. Um, it will take you to our support pages and it just says book a welfare chat. It will take you um, direct to a booking system. A bit like how you book a, like um, a tutorial, like the study development tutorials. A couple of other um, academics probably use them as well or the library use them. So it's really, really easy. You just pick a day that suits you, a time that suits you, and you can either select from myself or Mel 
or and, and then away you go and we we then we'll, we'll speak to you at your chosen time obviously in the COVID situation it's all remote it's not face to face as Mel said so you can choose from a, a Microsoft Teams video call Microsoft Teams call or a telephone call where we would ring your mobile phone and it will come up as a withheld number or a private number that's why I think we've called our welfare chats a welfare chat so it doesn't kind of seem like it's a serious thing it is a chat and you know because students come with all the different types of expectations you know some really want you to do everything for them some just want the basic advice and guidance some just want the chat and support just to talk to somebody and that's why we've called it a chat so that it, it can be anything that that student wants it to be it can be this is where you need to go and then with the well-being it's like I said earlier on at the very start of this conversation often that's why welfare is in with the mental health advisors and counsellors because a lot of the time our work overlaps you know the challenges that students face can sort of impact on their mental well-being that's why they need us for the practical things and the steps to kind of coordinate the support and offer the advice and guidance on how to deal with that. But then the mental health advisors and the counsellors support them with, with their mental health because that's been affected by what's happened, by the challenge that they are facing. So we kind of become hand in hand, um, so to speak. I suppose the only thing that I would probably lastly say is, is that you know, just because if you go to our welfare support pages and you look at the long list of things that we offer, us, you know, information, advice and guidance on for students, just because it's not there doesn't mean that we don't cover it. Honestly, literally, anybody could come to us with anything. Nothing is going to shock us at all. We have heard sort of everything from sort of, I'm not getting what my housemates, please help me, to... My landlord is being awful because he's not helping us dump to sexual assaults or I found out I'm pregnant or... Porn addiction, drugs. Yeah, drugs, harassment, crime-related instances, burglaries, stalking, you know, you name it. We Literally, I could be here all day listing all the things over the nine or eight or eight years that I've, I've helped students with. So bottom line is, if you have a question or a challenge that, that you don't know what to do, or you need some sort of guidance on to kind of see the wood from the trees, please just book a welfare chat with one of us and we'll do our best to, to kind of give you the best advice that we can. You know, honestly, anything. There's nothing that can't shock me. And do you know what? If there's something that I don't know, I will go and find it out. That's the thing, you know. I guess that's why I like my job so much because any problem... I will find the solution, even if it means me still here until eight o'clock at night and it's, you know, because it's important, I will be here and I will find the solution to that problem where I can or I'll speak to whoever I need to speak to to get my answers so that I can support that student. You've been listening to the Gives a Smile podcast with Molly Cattrall. Massive thank you to Mel and Jane for joining me today and discussing how to handle disclosures of sexual assault. This episode has helped highlight what not to say to survivors and how to access support within the university. And that's all for today's episode. Thanks again for listening. 
for anyone that's been affected by anything mentioned within this podcast, please access support from the All About Respect website at reportandsupport.yorksj.ac.uk.